This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 165 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. For the first time in a while, we've got a three-sport podcast as we're going to look at the one-in-one week for men's basketball, the start of spring practice for football next Monday, and the upcoming beginning of the baseball season with some audio from Coach Sean Elliott and Coach Brad Stromdahl. But first, basketball. Hashtag State Never Southern as Georgia State snapped their four-game losing streak on the hardwood by beating rivals Georgia Southern 64-60 on Thursday night before falling 79-71 Saturday afternoon to the co-league leading Southern Miss Golden Eagles. The Panthers now sit at 10-14 and and 3-9 and in the Sun Belt. So gentlemen, thoughts on those two games? I mean, it's honestly just good to be back in a spot where it's not like, okay, let's get talking about these games over with. Like that's step one, regardless of how the week had gone, it wasn't what it was after the Marshall game on the road where it's like, oh God, what's going on with this group? Um, They found it again. And that led to a win on Thursday and a very winnable game on Saturday that just kind of got away from them. Uh, Southern Miss kind of making their shots in that game down the stretch when they needed to. And Georgia State definitely leaving some layups, especially uh, off the scoreboard in the second half. But all in all, I think an encouraging week. Kind of we know where this team is. And so we kind of set it up as Southern is your gettable game. And if you were able to find a way to win at home against a good Southern Miss team, would really cement some kind of turnaround. But I still think you got that flavor even with a one in one week. Like I, I really do think that you can feel a little bit better about how things are. Um and I guess you know, once David says what he has to say, there is a major kind of shift in the roster, the the minutes distribution from this game that's is interesting going forward. Yeah, you know, we'll get into that. And I agree with your, you know, your takes because it just looked different. It looked like they were comfortable, you know, obviously getting the win against Southern um, in which I thought they played as good defensively as they've played all year. Um, they were super annoying, which is the exact style of defense that you, you know, want Georgia state to be playing. Um, but I also think that the way that they played and they kind of came at Southern miss, like they really made Southern miss earn that win. So, you know, spirits should be, not in the toilet for the Panther family right now, which is not something that we can say um, that we have been able to say for the last few weeks. Yeah. And the thing I was alluding to the change was that it seems like we are now going to get a smaller rotation, less players seeing the court kind of saw it a little bit on Thursday. Uh, You ended up having nine guys, nine guys play. But, um, you know, <clears throat> Evan Johnson for all the world seemed like he was going to be part of the rotation. And he just subbed out only playing two minutes and never got back onto the court. Um, on Saturday, he did not play at all. And only seven players played. You know, Kalik Brooks played 13 minutes on Saturday. Ed Namoko played 11 minutes. And every other minute was played by the starting five. Dewan Odom, Brendan Tucker, Colin Moore, Jermaine Mann, and Jaheim Hudson. and. I think one, it is interesting and I think encouraging that you're seeing Jonas Hayes make kind of a drastic change like that when things aren't going well. And I think it's a good change because that's by far the best five that 
Georgia State can put out there, and that's what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And I just think that the answer to some inconsistency and just not finding rhythm is just going with the exact same group that you feel gives you the best chance. And it's riskier if you're doing this over the length of a whole season. I think it's, you know, if this is the way that they're going to play and the rotation is going to shake out for the rest of this year, it's not nearly as a risk of just wearing down as you would have over the course of the whole season. So I think it works. And I think it's been why you've seen improved play and why you saw what you saw with, you know, I think Dewan Odom's still not, it just doesn't seem like everything's right there. He's, he's leaving everything short on his jumper, which tells me there's something with getting lift on the shots, but he is running the offense still, even if he isn't making all the shots he has been making all year. And the thing that's happened, especially this week, Brendan Tucker and Jermaine Mann have gotten really comfortable running the offense and making plays for themselves, cutting and passing out. And most importantly, they're hitting their threes right now. They're both over 30% from three, finally. Uh, George State had gone most of the year without anyone other than Kalik Brooks in the kind of smaller sample doing so. And you know, it's opened up so much that you've got two guys that are pretty reliably hitting threes, at least over a couple of games stretch. And that matters because the way that defenses have had to attack Georgia State the last couple of games, you can definitely tell things have started to very slowly open up. You know, I did get, you know, if you watch the Georgia Southern game, you would have been surprised that their final three-point shooting was under 30%. And the reason I say that is because you know, in the second half, they hit four threes. They were four of 10 from downtown. But Georgia Southern honestly had to honor the shot. You know, Jermaine Mann and Brendan Tucker are really putting some pressure on defenses. And, you know, Georgia State, when Dewan Odom is as healthy as he was earlier in the season, you know, he's a relentless bucket in the paint like that is where he really wants to score and you know you've seen him kind of get to his spot and miss like you said like the shots have been a little bit short so maybe there are still some health related issues there um but if he is able to recapture that if georgia state is hitting from the outside and they're able to hit from inside the offense is going to be a lot more fluid than it's been. They're going to be scoring in the seventies more consistently. They're not going to be struggling and going through really long droughts. You know, like the it's, it's funny because watching this Southern game compared to the previous Southern game, the only difference is they just didn't have that stretch where they didn't score for like 11 minutes. Like a, a lot of what they did both defensively and offensively looked the exact same. You know, it's just they were able to actually hit some of their shots. They were taking better looks. They, you know, kind of manipulated the Georgia Southern defense a little bit, but it, it was the same thing that they did before. They were the ones went on the 11-0 run in the second half to take the lead for good, as opposed to having the massive run on them in that first half against Southern or in some of the other games where they've had some costly runs, uh, lose the lead or let the lead for the opponent get even further out of reach and put them into a big hole. They avoided that on Thursday and they saw it out. And honestly, I think the scores would be, you know, the margin of victories would be almost identical, if not identical if Georgia State just hits their free throws a little bit better on Thursday. They left the door ever so open by only hitting both shots in the trip to the free throw line once in the final two seconds of the game. When Brendan Tucker had that final trip, he hit both. Every other time they had taken more than a single trip 
a single free throw and a trip to the line, they split them or uh, worse. And so as that game was closing out, they weren't doing the things that you cannot do. Like, you know, when you're nursing a lead late and you've got the pressure, you cannot have turnovers and you cannot force shots up with like 20 seconds on the shot clock. And they avoided doing those things, which is, you know, rule number one is that absolutely can't happen. Rule number two is make your free throws. And they didn't do that as well, but they made enough of them and they got the win. And so you can kind of just move past and just like, make them next time. Um, Saturday, kind of the formula that we've seen with there was the run for Southern Miss in the second half to take the lead and Georgia State had to battle back, but they had a chance in the game because instead of being down already, they had the lead. And so it wasn't, you know, the run didn't put it to where it was like, oh, this is now a 20 point game. Most it got was 11 for Southern Miss. Um, it was too much to come back from in the end. Southern Miss did make their free throws, but honestly, this is a really fun game. Like Southern Miss is a really good team and Panthers were taking it to them, hanging with them for a lot of that game. And, you know, a loss is still a loss, but it doesn't feel anything like basically any of the other conference losses to date uh, so far this year for Georgia State. And it wasn't just the lead. Like, you're right. It wasn't just that they had that four point halftime lead. I think. Southern Miss is a good team, and Southern Miss really had to earn that win. You know, anytime you score 49 points in a half, you like you are probably showing some good offense, but I feel like Georgia State really had to force Southern Miss to kind of put on some afterburners and say, hey, we, it, you know, it's halftime and we're down here. We like, we could very well lose this game. And, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. Um, and I also want to give credit to the Panthers, though, because they kept it close. Obviously, the final score was an eight point loss for georgia state they ran out of steam you know it happens those tight rotations you know ended up coming back to bite them and i believe jermaine Mann fouled out yeah jermaine Mann fouled out so um you know you lose your second leading scorer on the afternoon but they got contributions from a lot of different guys and i mean it wasn't the coastal carolina game obviously but they had a really good game from three you know the I don't think they got to the line as much as they would like to, but they, you know, still shot 76%, almost 77%. So I don't know. Like there are definitely worse games that they've played in conference season and outside of conference season, like you said, but I I really can't find it to be upset about this loss. Like they really did look good. And the other part of it is that outside of one guy who's a sophomore who played three minutes, and I'm assuming those some of that might have been down the stretch. Um, Southern Miss played exclusively seniors and juniors in their deeper rotation. And a few of those, like Felipe Hase, who absolutely terrorized them with 26 points, five of six from inside the arc, three of five from outside the arc, seven of seven on free throws. He's a graduate transfer. You know, he was at Mercer before, so we were familiar with him, having seen him the last couple of years with the Bears. It is an experienced group. And yeah, Georgia State has, of the players who played on Saturday, two juniors and then four sophomores and a freshman. And so the, the sophomores are three-year guys because you know, with the COVID year, every year you just add a year to the number of, you know, with eligibility and how that goes. But that year and two-year and in some cases three-year difference in experience matters. And 
it's not just that Southern Miss is a talented team. They are a talented, experienced team. And so when they were having a team have a comeback on them down the stretch, they didn't panic. They also didn't turn the ball over against the press late. They made their free throws and put the game away. And so you know, the solution to that is not letting them have a lead, uh, but Georgia State made them fight for it and made them roll the ball out and just they were able to do what they're supposed to do as a top of the Sun Belt experienced team. And so I don't think there's any shame in it. I think there was opportunities for sure to win the game, but you gave a good account of yourself. And that is not what you could say about any of the games really on that road trip where you went 0-4. Kind of the exception of the second half against Georgia Southern, but Really, that entire stretch was not playing winning basketball. And I think that they played winning basketball in both these games. They just only won one of them. You know, it's easy to say that the least they can do is just keep games competitive. Um, Because at the end of the day, you do want to turn these into wins. But sometimes it's okay. It's okay to just keep them competitive. It's okay that they played how they did. And it's okay that, you know, it's okay that facing talent that is not as strong as, say, a Southern Miss um, after this week, if they play like that, they'll probably end up winning more of the games that they have on their schedule and kind of turning this record around. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about him the last couple of pods. And so I don't think we're ignoring him, but. The other person we haven't really mentioned as far as changing the dimension of this team is Colin Moore, who clearly, if he had been healthy the entire year, I don't know that we'd talk about a completely different team because you can't really play that game, but he has added at both ends of the court another guy who's making his threes when he's getting open looks um, and forcing steals. He had four against Southern, another one against Southern Miss, and even only had only one steal against Southern Miss, but was effective in being kind of in your face and tenacious, definitely, you know, a coach and the recruit holdover that very clearly is going to fit into what Jonas Hayes wants to bring to Georgia state. And so another week of encouraging play from him. And it's really, I think what more than anything has helped him decide to hone in on this smaller rotation because he's added what he's added and you know, without him, his minutes would be probably going to a couple of different guys. But because Coach Hayes trusts him, he's just leaving him out there. Colin Moore has played six games and is tied for fifth in steals, which like I know that there's only like 11, 12 players on a basketball team. That's not normal. OK, I, I want to be very clear about that. He's got 14 steals in the season. That's that's not normal. He another like good game of steals could push him top three. That's again. And like you normal. wouldn't bet against it because you wouldn't. I, it, it doesn't seem accidental. He's just making these plays happen. And it's something that has added some of what the defense has been missing, especially in the games where the defense hasn't been playing great. Um, it's been missing that ability to turn the other team over and force out you know, get out and transition. And that's kind of another thing I wanted to mention just kind of quickly. And can I even fold this into the next week of games? But do you know that Georgia State is running the second fastest tempo in conference games among Sunbelt teams? We spent a lot of time talking about how this is, you know, slow, roll the ball up, 
run it down the clock. And they're definitely doing a fair bit of that still, but they've definitely picked spots more and more to where they're willing to push it and trying to get out after misses from the opponent. And it's definitely been noticeable. And I think it has definitely been part of what's brought out some of the offense. That honestly does surprise me less so because of that point about them being slow and grinded out and more so they I feel like they have struggled to create a lot of transition opportunities so you saying that the tempo is still up there does definitely surprise me this week Georgia State stays on the home front and hosts Old Dominion and Marshall both teams won their home legs against the Panthers on the team's recent 0-4 road trip so a little payback will be on the Georgia State players minds when the ball is tipped this week in the convocation center ODU is 14-10 and 10 and right at 500 in the Sun Belt with a 6-6 six and six record in conference. They're winners in three of their last four and led by as much as 19 in a 70-58 to 58 win over the Panthers in Norfolk on January 19th. The thundering herd of Marshall humbled Georgia State in a 103-65 win on January 28th. They're in a two-way tie with JMU for third place in the conference with an 8-4 and four record, two games behind the leaders Southern Miss and Louisiana. Gentlemen, thoughts on this upcoming homestand? So first off, just as an aside and mentioning just the conference as a whole, those two teams that are tied for first place, Louisiana and Southern Miss, play in Hattiesburg on Thursday. So that's going to be kind of the game of the year so far in Sunbelt basketball. Absolute slugfest that I'm going to be keeping tabs on even while I am at the Georgia State Old Dominion game and going to have pretty big implications for how the end of the year shakes out in the conference because it'll kind of be for tiebreaker rights between the two. And it's going to be about momentum. You know, Louisiana hasn't lost this calendar year, a really big game uh, right at the top of the conference, the type of game that Georgia state's going to hope to be getting back to as soon as next season. Um, As far as Georgia state's games this week, it's kind of a mirror image of last week's game where you circled the Thursday game as the gettable game of this week. You know, I think both ESPN and Ken Palm have it about 51%, 52% in favor of ODU winning the game. So it's basically a coin flip. The Saturday game, you know, this past week it was Southern Miss. This week it is Marshall. More of a lift for Georgia State to get the win even at home. Very good team as we don't need to remind anyone after the last time these two teams played. So I feel like it's another week where one and one would be Good finding a way to two and zero, especially if you could completely erase just whatever happened up in Huntington, would be great. Uh, but the team and everyone, after seeing that first game, is completely aware of the task that awaits them on Saturday in the form of the Marshall Thundering Herd. Yeah, it's not going to be fun. Um, but I mean, these guys are basketball players. They know that they've got to have a really short memory. And that's the easiest way for them to surprise some people and turn around and get an upset. I know that anytime you lose like that, it's going to be really easy to forget that game. You know, it's never fun to go over a game where you lose that badly. But I think they have the ability to play better. I do. Um, and with Colin Moore playing as he's been playing lately, Dewan has looked better and better. Um, you'd really love it if he looked like he did earlier in the season. Um, 
But with Colin kind of being the steadying force and with Tucker and Mann playing as they have, I don't think it's going to be a blowout this time. Knock on wood, I suppose. But <laughs> Right. Well, I was going to say something, too, so don't worry about the jinx. I, was just gonna, I don't think this team is like on Marshall's level. I don't think that every time they play, they are 40 points worse. Especially with this one being at home, I feel like it could shake out to be closer. You'd kind of hope that I, it didn't really have a factor in the game. But Marshall had a guy who I think had made one or two threes against D1 teams this year. Shoot, I want to get the the actual percentage right. He made four of five from three. He made four of the five threes he has made against Division One opponents against Georgia State. And a shot, I think, under 10% is how that works out against every other team. And so there, there is a little bit of like, the shooting luck wasn't super in Georgia State's favor. Didn't matter in the game. If the shooting luck was normal and you know even tilted towards Georgia State, then okay, it's like a 30-point loss, 25-point loss instead of a 40-point loss. But there is some of that, that especially a road trip for Marshall, some of that should even out a little bit. The rest of it's going to kind of just be up to actually playing kind of the defensive game you've played this last week. Uh, like you have in a lot of the games this year and not the type of defense that you played the first time you played Marshall because they just absolutely killed Georgia State on that pick and roll and their guards just were getting whatever shots they wanted, whether it was for them or for kicking out to a guy who's open for three. So going to have to have a better plan or a better execution of the plan defensively, but we have seen them do that. And I think that, no, you, no one needs to tell them how this game went. And so especially it being pretty soon after that game happened, still pretty fresh on the memory. And having had a win to kind of reset and flush out and not you're not still on tilt waiting for something to flip in the win column. You did get that back at least against Georgia Southern. Seems like they're in a better place for that game, but it's still going to be the bigger ask of this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, Marshall is still very good. You know, they're still going to come in here scoring how they've scored, you know, trying to get themselves back up into the best team in the Sunbelt conversation. You know, there's two teams in front of them, but there are only two games behind them. So we'll see. We'll see. And ODU, it was really the one that I've circled as the most confusing defensive performance because they really let ODU get whatever shots they needed to in that game. And ODU is kind of a similar offensive team by the metrics as Georgia State is. They're better, but not a ton better. You know, they're still in the bottom 50 or so in effective field goal percentage on Kempom. Under, you know, in the t- again, in the bottom 50 in two-point percentage, uh, they sit at 269 out of what 362 when it goes to three-point percentage as a team. And so it's not really a prolific shooting team. It's a team that takes care of the basketball, doesn't turn it over that much, and they play good defense. But the offensive numbers don't line up with the type of offense they were able to put up the first time they played Georgia State, where they made over 70% of their shots inside the arc. And you, again, another kind of aberration is that they shot – over 80% on free throws, and they've not been a particularly great free throw shooting team. They're under 68% as a team uh, from the charity stripe. And so reason to think that those numbers could even out again. And 
you know, some of that's going to be down to Georgia State playing better defense, and some of that might just be the law of averages catching up to Old Dominion. But there is some of that at play. But the other part of it is that they've got to play like they did this last week and not, you know, if they do what they did against the Monarchs the first time, not much is going to change probably. They were giving up too easy of looks. But there is reason to believe that some of that, especially when you add in that it's now a home game instead of a road game, might trickle back in the Panthers' favor. And, you know, in a coin flip game, I feel like as a rule, you kind of always feel comfortable taking the home team, even if the coin flip odds are slightly skewed towards the road team. I just think when it gets down to it, when it gets down to those moments, you like the home team. And it's going to be one, especially when you're looking at the rest of the schedule and you're still playing Marshall on Saturday, you're still playing James Madison it's one of the games you have left that you really would love to have as you're trying to stack up wins down the stretch because you've still got some toughies. Moving on to football news. Spring practice is near. Ahead of its start this coming Monday, Coach Elliott met the media and previewed the upcoming 15 practices ahead of the spring game on March 9th, and Brady was there to talk with Coach Elliott. Brady, what you got? Yeah, so uh, we did this once before, including some of the audio from that in this. We'll do that again with baseball next segment. Um, yeah, kind of best place to start is where Coach Elliott started. He started by talking about the decision to start spring practice earlier than it had been before and kind of the reasoning behind that and just the general vibe around the team through winter workouts. Well, you know, uh, it really started with our all-season hire of our new strength coach, Mike Seriano. And uh, we just got to discussing, you know, what we needed to do to become a bigger, stronger, faster football team. And... You know, uh, he thought it would be really, really beneficial that we move spring practice up and give us um, a few extra weeks on the back end leading into uh, August practice and uh, have us uh, really just an opportunity to continuously train uh, and get better and start, like I said, bigger, stronger, faster. So that was really the determining factor on on moving spring practice up. Um, You know, he's been a great addition to our football team. Well, I think we've been in the – are lifting and off-season conditioning now for four weeks, and this is our fifth week. And we've implemented something this week, the last week before spring practice, called Prowl Week, which is a really a, what I think is very, very unique. It's a, it's not really a scheduled basis. Kind of, we've divided our team up into teams, eight teams, and they're really on call, 24 hours a day. You know, um, and, and we're throwing different things at them, and to have them to fight through adversity, to strain, develop leadership, discipline, commitment, effort. To really get over the mentality of, of giving in. When we, uh, a few times last year we gave in, and uh, it's been marvelous thus far. And it's uh, really exciting for us leading into spring practice because I think this spring practice is going to be one of the more critical uh, time periods that we have in, uh, in our offseason preparation. And the next thing to highlight, Coach Elliott talked about a few of the players in different, you know, on both sides of the ball that he was kind of watching out for that he could single out ahead of spring practice well you know what to be honest with you uh, everyone I mean it, it, several we've got new quarterbacks in place right here uh, Michaela Calacerta won't go through as much as he could have gone through because of an offseason uh, surgery and then some other uh, new faces that we have some new uh, transfers that we have in place see uh, you know just so where they fit in what kind of 
practice effort they have, what kind of competitive drive. We've seen it out here in drills. Uh, I'm really ready to see it now in the, the, the actual game of football. We, we think we've added uh, some very, very key pieces. And we lost some key pieces, but I think we've added some key pieces that, that uh, they're going to come in there and do just fine. I think when you look at, uh, you know, you think about offensively right there, uh, so much promise had been in place for Robert Lewis. He started off fantastic and then, you know, dealt with injury and then towards the end of the year had a torn hamstring and, and completely taken out of the rotation. He's a guy that's going to step in and just roll, I think. Uh, one of the more uh, dynamic athletes, uh, speed guy that we have on our football team. I'm excited to watch him play. Um, Marcus Carroll, you know, it, it's, he's kind of stepping up to the plate. It, it's his time to shine. And he had his moments a year ago, you know, stepping in when had some injuries there in the backfield. Um, I think another one uh, that's going to be electric is KZ Adams. Uh, those guys, uh, you know, hopefully we're, we're not going to miss a beat in that area. Uh, uh, defensively, you know, you bring in some guys right there. You talk about I'm really anxious to see Henry Bryant take over that nose spot and then transfer from Louisville. Uh, the linebacker spots that we have right there, you know, you, you've got Blake Carroll that's still coming off the injury with the Achilles tendon, so there's some new guys stepping up in place. And then we've got a secondary that's going to be filled with some competitive spirit. I mean, every day ought to be a, a great opportunity to go out there and just you can't let up because there's positions to be had. And there's some older guys that are, are going to be pushed because we've got some hungry younger talent. And I thought it was interesting when he talked about knowing that the secondary kind of had that mentality that he was looking for. And so I, I asked him to dive a little bit deeper into what he meant and what he had seen from them. Oh, you know, we were, we've created a, a pulse committee, uh, kind of a, I guess you can call it a leadership group. And um, the guys in the back end, are, we've got a few of those guys on there, and, and they're here all day and all night. I mean, they're, they're walking out of this facility at, 7.30 in the evening, uh, what if they're working on footwork or, or, or strength training or, or on that jugs machine? It's just that group right there has really taken on a different look and a different role. I mean, they, they've got a, a look in their eyes. You talk about Keith, I mean, he's, he's, he's ready to take an even bigger step. Uh, the young guys that we have, uh, uh, Jackson is going to be, well, he is, working as good as I've ever seen. And uh, it's just an exciting group. They know there's, it's, it's kind of like there's blood in the water. They see the positions open and they're like, hey, we got to go fight for them. And they're all working really, really good with one another. And uh, that's going to be an exciting process to watch shake out. And then kind of the last thing, the elephant in the room about a four and eight 2022 campaign, where the team was mentality wise, heading into the spring practice and what it was going to be? I think any time when you went through the season like we had went through and uh, to see what could have been and how close it was and then it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to be or not supposed to be the way we would hoped it to be, it's certainly disappointment uh, starting right up with me. I mean, uh, you know, we, we talk about New Year's resolutions. I like be a better coach and, you know, I've got to do a lot of things differently uh, to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, and we had to make sure our players understood they've got to do also a lot of things differently to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, we're, we're on the same accord in that, that aspect of it. Um, like I said, the offseason is a great time to see exactly how disappointed you were with the season prior. And from the first five weeks of what we've been doing, uh, I've been 
it's been right on point. It's been about business and, and nothing else. I think from, from going to class and academics to study hall to being at breakfast to being at lunch and, and in the weight room, it's, it's just the mentality has changed. And there's a hunger in our eyes and a hunger in our hearts that, uh, that I like to see. And we've all got it. So there's Coach Elliott, his thoughts. Um, I think striking the right balance, I think saying a lot of the things you'd be hoping for, I think ever we kind of have gone into this a couple of times. I we did it on Twitter space uh, with Ben Moore about how the last couple of springs have been a little bit more, okay, we know that the major contributors, what they are, so they're going to rest. And I think that the mentality had an effect. And so this year you're getting the total opposite where a lot of jobs are up for grabs. And I think that is the team is all the better for that. And you hear that that definitely matters to Coach Elliott as he's looking forward to what this spring is going to bring. Was the last time that there was this many open jobs the 2019 season or 2020 season? Yeah, no, definitely 2019. Okay, because that's kind of when this run started and when they looked a lot hungrier than they did this year. So you could honestly say that that did have an... it is not far-fetched for you to say that that had an impact on the style of play and the competitiveness last year. Because even in those years, when there were major injuries, there were some backups who were able to fill roles, I think, a little bit better than happened this year because guys are probably just hungry all year and just really waiting for their opportunity to play. So, you know, I can't necessarily say that that is the only factor, but it, it might honestly have had, had an impact on the 2022 season. You know, Jonas Hayes talks about poise a lot. He's got a lot of these couple of words that he likes going back to that he's focusing on. And hunger is definitely going to be that over the spring um, if this press conference with Coach Elliott is any indication that getting that hunger back and that right mentality is really the most important thing for them, I think that the thing that they think was missing and what led to the disappointment last season. So spring practice is about to start. We're going to see how it plays out. And the spring game is you know, a month away. And last but certainly not least, let's move on to talk about some baseball. Baseball coach Brad Stromdahl also made himself available to the media ahead of opening day next week, and Georgia State has been picked ninth out of 14 in the Sun Belt preseason poll released on Wednesday. Cameron Jones and Max Ryerson were the two Panthers selected to the preseason all-conference honors. And Brady also, as part of this, had the chance to talk to Coach Stromdahl. What do you got, Brady? Yeah, again, he started out kind of talking about, you know, he was asked what to expect from this year's baseball team. And this is what he had to say. Oh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a kind of a high, high energy, high impact um, team. We have, we have a lot of guys coming back that um, have an incredible amount of experience and just growth within the last few years of continuing to build upon the foundation that we've, we've been able to lay since 2020. Um, And so just as we go, we have a, a very, very deep pitching staff. Um, you know, that we have returning position players that are, are ready to go and, and ready to, to continue to build upon what we did last year, which was, you know, go and finish 30 wins in the season. And then after that, he kind of got asked about whether this was going to resemble last year's team as far as just the power hitting and, or whether there was going to be a little bit more balance uh, with the, the style of hitting. And this was his thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think that we will definitely continue to play to our ballpark a little bit. Um, I think that we've added some really good pieces that are able to hit the ball, make make more contact. We struck out a lot last year, and so we're trying to limit that a little bit as we continue to grow 
um, our team and grow into the future of, of what Georgia State baseball is going to be. But, you know, I think that playing in our ballpark is it's something that is a part of what we do and how we recruit and uh, what our players are able to do. And, um, you know, being able to add some speed and some contact in there is only going to be able to lengthen the lineup a little bit. And I asked him what specifically he was going to be looking out for in the early season set of games right as you know, real games are being played down at Georgia State Stadium yeah no we just go out and play I mean that's that's the that's what it is I mean what what we need to really do is figure out and identify who our Friday Saturday Sunday night starters are um, because I think that we have five guys that can do it um, it's a matter of which ones are going to be able to contribute in the way that we want them to be contributing members um, with that. And then, you know, whoever that fourth or fifth guy potentially is long relief or closer and then who pitches on Tuesday. And then finally he got asked just if reaching that 30 win mark last season, what kind of effect that had as far as feeling like it was building in the right direction? I think it's absolutely kind of was probably one of it was a goal, but it probably wasn't like a set goal in our heads. But I think that that mark, that benchmark of 30 is incredible because now what we can do is we can leapfrog over that. And, you know, ideally we shoot for 35, 36, 37 wins or more. Um, and in our conference, if you're at 36, 37, 38 wins, you go to a regional just because the conference is so strong with the RPI and all that stuff. So um, I'm really excited about like those numbers now because I think that we can we can say, okay, we did that. We did 30 wins with this team, and now we've added all of this to the next team, and we should be able to move forward in a, in a more efficient manner. So the thoughts of Coach Stromdahl there, thanks to him for making himself available, talking to us, and there's a lot of confidence. Like I think it's reserved. I don't think it's like going out there expecting that they're going to go win 40 games as an absolute but I think that they feel, and you could hear it from some of the things he said, that they feel that they can add to the 30 wins they got last year. And, you know, if you look at the schedule, and I, we're going to go a little bit deeper onto this with the, the games that they have coming up next week on next pod. But if you look at how the schedule shakes out, they're the only team in the Sun Belt who misses both Louisiana and Southern Miss, who are both top four in that preseason poll. And they don't play Georgia Southern, who was picked second. Um, in the preseason poll on the road. They only play them for one home series at, in Atlanta, and they play Texas State for one series on the road. So they get a little bit of scheduling luck with the teams that they play in conference, and I really do think hitting that mark matters and that it feels like it's building the right direction. They got guys back from last year's team, big guys like Ryerson and Jones and also Ryan Watson coming back was big. And, you know, we're going to see how it plays out, but I think there's reason to think that they could outperform that ninth spot that they were picked at in the coaches poll preseason. I have nothing fancy to add, but I'll just say I'm excited for baseball. You can definitely see the strides that they made last year. And like you said, the schedule is in their favor, if you will. Um, it doesn't look as gauntlety as it did last year. Um, and you could definitely tell that they ran into it. So, but, you know, another season, 30 plus wins, you know, creeping up into 40 slash maybe being at the top of the Sun Belt. That that would be fun. That'd be a very good season for the Panthers. Well, and to 
Coach Romano made this point in the audio that I played. Like, if they get to 35 wins, they're they might just get a berth in a regional because the Sunbelt's reputation is that good that teams who hit to that win total in this conference, you know, it's a different situation than football or basketball because there's a lot more heavy lifting you have to do in those sports to kind of earn that reputation. Sunbelt baseball was there, and then they added a team that just hosted their own super regional in Southern Miss. And so, you know, it is the the rising tide that's going to lift all boats to where anyone who gets above that 30-win threshold and starts tacking on and tacking on, just because of the reputation this league has got as a really solid baseball league, that's the opportunity for Georgia State. And it's not a sport, it's not a league that you have that opportunity much in. Soccer. Yeah, men's soccer and baseball are basically the sports that you can look at as the Sunbelt having that type of reputation. But that's why I think it's all the more better if they're able to build on the success and get there because certainly worth taking advantage of if you've got this opportunity where it's easier to get to the regionals than it is in some of these other sports, you know, the, the corollary. All right. And before we get you out of here this week, of course, we've got to talk about all the different things going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. So today, as of the release of this podcast, we've got women's track and field in the Florida University Invitational at noon in Gainesville, Florida. We've got women's basketball taking on Appalachian State also at noon in Boone, North Carolina on ESPN+. And at 7 p.m., of course, we've got men's basketball versus Old Dominion right here in the GSU Convocation Center. That game on ESPN Plus, WRASFM 88.5 as well, if you're not able to make it in person. And then on Friday, we've got a couple of things going on as well. Women's track and field continue in the Florida University Invitational, and softball begins a big multi-team event in uh, Florida as well. And Miami taking on Kansas City in the Felsberg Invitational at 1230, Clemson. And the same event at 3. And then at 5 p.m., men's tennis plays at Florida Gulf Coast. Then Saturday, softball continues their multi-team event, taking on a team to be announced at a time to be announced later on on Saturday. And then also 12.30 p.m., playing Florida International. And then at 1 p.m., women's tennis takes on Samford in Birmingham, Alabama. 2 p.m., the men's basketball team hosts Marshall in the Convocation Center. And then also at 2 p.m., the women's basketball team takes on Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia. And then on Sunday, softball continues in the Felsberg Invitational in Miami. Men's tennis plays at North Florida in Jacksonville at noon. And then women's tennis plays at UAB in Birmingham at 1 p.m. And then finally... On Valentine's Day, softball takes on Georgia Tech in Atlanta at 5 p.m. Other than that, that's all that's happening this week. And that's all we've got for this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. Hope to catch you in person at one of these events. And if not, we'll see you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Have fun, stay safe, and go Panthers.